0: What do you think about when you think of, like, Tim Couch? You're too late. We could have got Peyton Manning the year before. <laughs> I mean, man, I, I feel for Tim Couch because we gave him historically the worst offensive line in NFL history. And I think, I think Tim Couch actually could have been good. Like, you look at his numbers, and they were, like, decent for someone that got no protection whatsoever. I mean, we saw it happen with David Carr a few years later. They gave him the worst line historically that we'd ever seen. Expansion team again broke his ass.
1: You ever heard of the butterfly effect? A butterfly flaps his wings in Canada. And that leads to a hurricane in Florida. The tiniest things over here can cause the biggest things over there. To me, that's the difference between the Browns coming back in 1999 instead of 98. They come back a year sooner. They draft this guy. Manning looks right all the way. Got it. Touchdown. Instead, we got Tim Couch. The, blitz. Couch hangs in there, throws. the funny thing is, Tim and Peyton actually had a ton in common.
2: That rivalry went all the way back to high school. You know, Peyton and I were always competing against each other, winning all these different awards, and then we get to college. And I originally committed to Tennessee. I was going to be Peyton's teammate. And then I backed out and ended up signing with UK last minute. I was always kind of competing against him, and he set the bar so high that, uh, you know, I felt like I was always chasing him and just trying to catch up.
1: It was hard for Couch to catch up to Manning because, for one, Peyton had a year head start, and two, he had a future Hall of Fame wide receiver next to him. Freelance, he has a man wide open in the end zone. Harrison for the touchdown. And he had a Hall of Fame running back behind him. First Manning, wide open in the end zone. Touchdown Marshall Funk. And he had a professional offensive line that allowed only 22 sacks all season. Meanwhile, Couch got a brand new franchise with rookie wide receivers and an expansion draft O-line that allowed a Browns record 56 sacks. Right, Chris Berman? Hamilton drills the rookie Tim Couch. Yikes. Tony Bracken sacks Tim Couch. He left with a sprained left ankle. X-rays negative. Oh, watch out. Couch has his cushion scattered. The Browns ended Couch's 99 rookie season 2-14. and 14. He threw 15 touchdowns, but 13 picks. He started 14 games, but never won a game after that thriller in Pittsburgh. It was a tough season all around.
2: I think young quarterbacks... There are different ways to handle them and I think it all depends on the situation you're throwing them into. If you throw them into a team that has a good offensive line, has a good running game to take the pressure off the quarterback, has playmakers around him where he doesn't feel like he has to go and put too much pressure on himself and go out and force the Mm -hmm. issue then I think you can put a young quarterback in that situation and let him go. But if you're not a very talented football team, he's gonna get hit a lot, he's gonna get beat up. Those types of situations, you can really ruin a young quarterback's mindset. You know, you can get him gunshot, you can lose his confidence. He starts questioning himself, uh, can I do it at this level? So it does play mind games with a young quarterback. In his time as a Brown, Tim
1: Couch got crushed by opposing defenders, fans, throwing beer bottles, even his own coach, until his confidence and body were completely shattered. Once he was the rival of Peyton Manning and the hope of Cleveland, but now he's the first name on the back of that famous jersey with all the other discarded Browns quarterbacks. You just got your bell rung. Shake it off and put your helmet back on. We're headed to Brownstown. We can't talk about Couch without talking about his head coach, though. Chris Palmer was supposed to be a quarterback guru. He coached under Bill Parcells and Tom Coughlin. But the 99 season was his first time calling the shots. Jim Donovan thought the Palmer hire came a bit
0: out of nowhere. He was down in Jacksonville. Of course, he had a Bill Parcells pedigree, and he had been with him in New England. But he was kind of known as a quarterback guru at the time, and he just got beaten down. And he was very friendly with the media. But then finally, a little bit too much. It just all kind of came down on him. He got up there one day, and he went, hey, listen, this is like a runaway train right now. In other words, I have no control over this. I don't know what I can do. As a coach, Palmer started out nice, but then he got
1: me. Going to a 14 will do that to you. And as Palmer and the Browns' second season kicked off in 2000, Palmer's demeanor got even worse. Kicker Phil Dawson played for Palmer in San Francisco a decade later, but still remembers those first two seasons together. When I was with the Niners, he was there as a analyst. And he couldn't have been more nice, more personable, good guy to be around. And I even joked with him. I go, you're the opposite that I remember as my head coach in Cleveland. I I don't remember enjoying playing for you.
2: I didn't like being around you. I was scared to death of you. I don't know many players uh, those first two years that were super excited to go to work. But to his defense, I mean, he had it coming at him from all angles and He was probably just trying to survive like the rest of us.
1: Hell, I don't blame Palmer for being pissed at all. The thing they had been great at, developing an offense and scoring points, just wasn't happening. We just didn't have the horses to make it work. Here's Couch.
2: Chris was a really good offensive mind. I think what he was doing in Jacksonville, where they had so much success with Mark Grinnell and Keenan McCardell and Jimmy Smith and Fred Taylor and all those guys was, we tried to do that in Cleveland, but we just didn't really have the pieces in place. They had a great offensive football team there. And we're trying to do that on an expansion team. We were doing a lot of stuff, a lot of deep seven-step drop stuff, where we were trying to throw like 18-yard ends and comebacks and deep. And we just didn't have the time to throw those routes. We just weren't there yet.
1: The 2000 season started better than the 99 season with wins against the Bengals and Steelers for a two and two start. But the Browns went on to win only one of the 12 fucking remaining games. They ended the season three and 13 in their two seasons together. Palmer and couch pulled together just five wins and couch would be sacked 66 times. Quick side note. Palmer's next job after the Browns will be offensive coordinator for the Houston Texans, the NFL's newest expansion team. This is where he would proceed to kick the living shit out of another expansion quarterback and help set the NFL's most sacks allowed in a season record at 76. Lord have mercy.
2: Car pressured down and thrown down. That's a statement sack there. Palmer decided to play college right away because he was of the theory, the best way for a quarterback to learn a play quarterback is to play immediately. If he's your guy, just play him. And they did it with Carr in Houston, same thing, and just as Chris got the couch all beat up. And so you you were trying to just rush everything. You may have guessed by
1: now that Palmer was going to be fired, and he deserved it. At 5-27, we all knew it was just a matter of time.
2: Palmer, then later on my second year, we're talking, and it's pretty clear he's going to get fired. And he said, you know who I wanted to be? I wanted to be the guy who replaces me. In other words, I wanted to be the second coach of the expansion team. I'm taking the hit for the next guy. And he was correct. The Browns went all out for Palmer's replacement. University
1: of Miami head coach Butch Davis, 50% rock star, 50% football coach. And he had been running a program down in South beach that had stud players and a reputation for, well, enjoying themselves. Hell, they made like two 30 for thirties about it. It was going to take a lot to pull butch from sunny South beach. Is there a chance that this could be your last game
0: at Miami or, or do you definitely plan on being here? Nope, I plan on being here. I took the job with the idea I wanted it to be my last job. I think, reflectively, all the decisions that I've made with the idea that I'm going to be the guy that's going to be there coaching in 2010. Jim Donovan remembers what it took to get Butch to Cleveland. The Butch Davis story was that the Browns had been convinced that they were such a young team that it's like a college team. So let's go get the best, the hottest college coach in the game at that time. And Miami had an incredible program. And so they went down and they got Butch Davis. And the story goes like this. He had turned them down the first time, right after they had fired Chris Palmer. It looks like it's over and they're going to have to go get somebody else. Butch Davis comes back to them and he keeps saying, hey, if you throw another million in, I might take the job. And the next thing you know, he takes the job late that night and he becomes the head coach of the Browns. So
1: enter Butch freaking Davis, our second new Browns head coach, ready to kick off the 2001 season. And things went actually pretty well. If we zoom through the first three quarters of the season, Butch and the Browns weren't awful, which was new. They were 6-6 six and six with an unlikely playoff spot still possible. All they had to do was win their four remaining games.
2: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: In week 14, we hosted the garbage 4-12 and 12 Jacksonville Jaguars, who we had already beaten once that year. But as the old Browns had the history of the drive and the fumble, where they were so close to greatness, the new Browns were about to start a tradition of finding dumbass ways of losing. And it all started with Bottlegate. Gus, I tell you, what a tough way I've to go never, out of have never seen anything I like this. Never
0: have. They still had a little bit of an outside shot, believe it or not, of making the playoffs. They were playing pretty well. They're coming down near the end of the game. It's a tight game. They're on a drive to try and take the lead in the game. And they complete a key fourth down pass to Quincy Morgan. But they have the first down. It's caught Morgan with the catch at the 10. They line up for the next play and they actually snap the ball, which means we're past the replay. Situation. I mean, if you snap the ball, it's all over. The last play can't be reviewed, or so we thought. Uh, But apparently the referee says that he had gotten buzzed, and they were going to take a look at it.
1: Replay buzzed prior to the snap. We'll be looking to see if the last
0: pass was incomplete or complete. And when the decision came out, it was absolutely mayhem.
1: After review, the pass is incomplete. First down.
0: I mean mayhem for the rest of the game, which was absolutely insane. I mean, I just remember the bottles coming out. And these
2: officials really need to get off the field.
0: And you know what? The fans got to stop throwing crap. We just saw a guy get hit in the head and he's down, split his head wide open. I remember the Jaguars running into their tunnel. Butch Davis in the fray injured his knee. He ended up having to have knee surgery. The referees are being shielded by police as they run through. And more and more bottles keep coming out. And Casey Coleman was our sideline reporter at the time. He's going to do an interview with Butch Davis right after the game. And the next thing, somebody comes running into the room and says, Coach, you have to get the team back out on the field because they had not finished the game. And finally, they drag 11 players back out onto the field. From what we understand... Commissioner Paul Tagliabu called the officials in the locker room and has said that this game must be completed. And that was the end of the game. And it was unbelievable. And it continued then on all the national shows. What a disgrace the Cleveland fans are. A black guy for the Browns organization, Carmen and <laughs> I think Carmen said, you know, it really wasn't that bad. I don't think that these bottles, you know, pack much of a wallop. And it was just a bad scene. That's all very funny.
1: As long as you're not a ref, NFL ignoring its own rules to hand you an L, priceless. Cleveland would go on and lose three of those last four games and end the 2001 season 7-9 and miss the playoffs. In just three seasons since returning to Cleveland, the Browns had crushed their franchise quarterback 117 times, fired their first head coach, and made the playoffs a total of zero times. But things were still sort of looking up. These bumps and bottles in the road seem like the usual kind of thing for an expansion team on their way to relevancy. I mean, almost making the playoffs in year three for a new team, that ain't bad. But unfortunately, Couch was getting his ass kicked so hard he was falling apart at age 24. It would catch up to the Browns.
2: My body was beat up physically. I had you know, two major shoulder surgeries. I had broken leg, broken foot, concussions. I got four screws in my thumb. But as bad as my body was hurting, I was more beat up mentally.
1: And things wouldn't end up well for these
2: two. Butch and I, um, we had a good relationship. Until we didn't, I break my leg and can't play in the postseason game. And Kelly Holcomb comes in and has a great game against Pittsburgh. And I'm thinking, okay, next year I'm going to be obviously the starter. I just took the team to the playoffs. I'm healthy again. And Butch just saw it a different way. And that's when the team just kind of started going sideways. I mean, I thought we were on a really good track. We had a good young football team that just made the playoffs. And he starts blowing things up and moving a lot of pieces around. And, And we had a falling out at that point.
1: Next time on Brownstown, Butch Davis stirs shit up for no reason at all. Brownstown is hosted and reported by me, Andre Knott, produced and written by Harry Swartow and Peter Moses, edited by Isabel Jocelyn, music by Brian Decker, production coordination by Devin Shepard, and production assistance by Miriam Khan, Michael Ehrlich, Shweta Surindran, and Zach Jackson. Brownstown is a blue wire podcast and executive produced by Peter Moses and John yells. See you next time.